0: Well, it changes, doesn't it, as as your life changes. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be about mum and dad going for mum's Christmas dinner, which was full of sort of favourites and things she used to do and all the traditional things. For the first year after they passed, you tried to sort of recreate that sense of Christmas that you had, and it's, a right. not, it's not a good idea, I think. Because missing. it makes you feel sad, <laughs> yeah. you know. So the okay. thing I, I've started to do is is usually to eat out in a hotel or a, a restaurant. And I really enjoy it. And we, we live very near the one in Islington called Bellinger's. It's dog-friendly, and you can take your dog there. And there's only me and my partner and our dog. And he sits there, the dog, with his bow tie on and his Christmas hat. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Fortnum's Hungry Minds podcast with me, Felicity Blunt. There are a few things synonymous with Christmas. One is Fortnum's, of course, and the other is the Nutcracker. Fortnum's loves all things Christmas and has a long history of supporting the arts. And here to chat with me is the wonderfully talented Sir Matthew Bourne, hailed by many as the UK's most successful living choreographer and director at what would have been a very timely opening of his famous Christmas production, Nutcracker. Nutcracker. For over 30 years, Matthew has created and directed some of the most iconic musical theatre and film productions of our generation, including Swan Lake, Edward Scissorhands, Mary Poppins, My Fair Lady and Nutcracker, to name but a few. In 2001, he was awarded the OBE for services to dance and in 2016, he was knighted in the Queen's New Year Honours. In the same year, he was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Coronation Award for his outstanding services to the art of ballet, which is one of the most coveted honours in the world of dance. And just recently, he broke the Olivier Awards records as the most successful individual in the history of the awards. You have won nine Olivier Awards. Nine. Yes. So you are the Meryl Streep of the Olivier Awards.
0: <laughs> I suppose I am. Yes, you are the. Come you know, on, yeah, you no, it's incredible. it's incredible. It's incredible. I get actually put it in perspective. Hal Prince, who was the big Broadway producer director, he he won something like twenty six Tonys or something. So I've got a way to catch up. So you're up still with him.
1: okay. You're, you've got but Olivier's.
0: Yes, I hold Olivier's. The you've
1: swept. That is amazing. <laughs> I read a quote where you said, art is transformative. It can change lives. Um, We've seen again and again how art can alter young people's lives. I did want, I wanted to talk to that. Obviously, now it feels even more important to talk about that Mm. with the vagaries of COVID still being felt, but still being felt so acutely by your profession in particular. Yeah. Because many other professions have managed to work from home and continue. And I read only recently, there was a piece, I think, in the Sunday Times about everybody having to reinvent themselves to stay afloat, become teachers, sort of get to grips with Zoom. What are you seeing now? What are your anxieties about people's access to art?
0: Well, access is the word, I think, for young people. It's a different thing, isn't it? Young people, access is so important that they get the chance to see and experience art. And performance, live performance, those things w- remain and, and hopefully that will pick up again soon and we that will happen. And we, we need to make sure that happens because that's how young people do change, you know, mm-hmm. they change through exposure to things that they would not normally be exposed to. And I, you know, I was very lucky when I was growing up, I had parents that took me to the theatre a lot. I was born in London, East yeah. London, a very ordinary working class family. But my parents loved theatre and they took me always in the cheapest seats uh-huh. was always right at the top somewhere and looking down on the heads of all these great actors and dancers and singers yeah. and people. And, but it felt great. I mean, I loved it. I, didn't, I never, never thought I would ever sit down below, but I'm so grateful now that they did that, you know, Yeah. but that's the other thing you mentioned about, you know, what, what it has done for our profession, what this time has done. It's, it's really made everyone uh, so much more grateful, I suppose, for what we do. And I think for as audiences, for audiences as well, it's made them uh, not take what we do for granted. And mm. I think when we do come back, it's going to be a very changed profession uh, for many years. I think we're not that we didn't love what we did before, but I think it's we're, we'll be more grateful for what we do and realize that we have a part to play in people's lives. And that has been questioned quite a lot, I think, at this time. Mm. it's felt, I, th- I remember there were, there were times during this period where I felt, oh, I didn't realise we were not as valued as I thought we were. And that's partly to do with the way the government reacted, I suppose, to.
1: Right, and the support that you received. Yeah, and there receive. has been support and we're yeah. grateful
0: for it, of course. But it was a lack of understanding about what our profession is and how it works, with all the freelancers and people who make up theatre. Yeah. And, and most people I work with have been out of work since March.
1: And they want to be in work. You know, They, of have, they had jobs, I imagine, that were lined up and that had...
0: had... Lots of things fell through. And, yeah. I mean, the brilliant ones, the ones I admire the most, are, are people who've taken other jobs just mm. to survive, you know, in supermarkets and stacking shelves and delivering parcels and things. You know, you, yeah. you have to admire these people. They're highly skilled, highly trained Brilliant performers, brilliant people, not just mm. performers, but everyone who works in theater and they're they're having to take on other things that is not their primary skill in to survive and to, and to support their families you know so it's been a a difficult time in that respect of that understanding of a lack of understanding of how theater and yeah. and the arts works
1: and because you're obviously so established, you are so I mean, you were at the sort of, I mean, Nine Olivier was you were sort of at the very top of sort of what people could hope to aspire to. Do you feel sort of level of responsibility about what you've had to push for or have people come to you and sort of looked for guidance? I think across all of this time we're all looking for guidance and never quite sure where to get it from in any profession but i think in yours particularly because of what we've discussed
0: yeah i felt responsible well i have a company my company is called new adventures my Mm. dance company and as i say virtually everyone who works for me is freelance so we bring people together for a contract and do a show for a period of time you know but there's a lot of continuity it's a big family we're trying to keep that family together over the last few months has been very important to me. They're basically not working, but we've created a lot of uh, involvement in various things. The dances we've had online classes mm. for them to do. We've had all sorts of initiatives where we've we've involved people in online things, and more recently in, in filming things as well, which we're allowed to do at the moment. So we've created film projects that we wouldn't normally have done. And we're trying to create work in that way, just to to employ some of our performers uh, and our crew. But I I think the most important thing is for them to have felt part of something. Yeah. So connected. to keep constant contact, mm-hmm. even though they weren't, you know, we weren't able to pay them anything. Sometimes, <laughs> we we set up a whole thing with bursaries and. We had some great uh, funders come in and help us with that. And um, so that people could tra- train, not retrain at the moment, because a lot of them want to carry on with their careers yeah. that they have. But things for the future, you know, a dancer's life is short. Yes. And so people have done courses in all sorts of things uh, online courses or courses they've been able to go to to sort of uh, occupy them in a different way at this time and and do something positive.
1: Do you see as well sort of some of the, in terms of your earlier point about access, the online element actually allows much freer access. Can you see that continuing and being a sort of an element of what your company always now does?
0: Yes, it's interesting you brought that up because that's so true. And it's not just access for young people, it's access for people who can't get to a theatre or to a cinema even sometimes. We'd recorded a lot of our shows, you know, for, for, for broadcast and for cinema showings over the last few years. And having these over the last few months has been amazing to be able to share them with people properly. And, and we've created lots of sort of um, bespoke screenings of them where I've introduced them. And then we've had a Q&A at the end with some of the cast, which has involved them. And mm. it's what I've found, it's given people a real sense of pride in their work, as well as entertaining the audiences out there who, who are really missing live Performance, it's been a really useful tool to have those recently. And I think it will continue that kind so, of yeah. online um, involvement and access. Through streamed performances, mm. it seems a no brainer now, doesn't it? To, you've it got seems to run. so
1: obvious. I mean, before I had never heard the word Zoom, not in the context of sitting at my computer anyway. <laughs> um, and now all of these things are just everybody, you know, your father knows how to use them, your five year old son has been taught on them. It's just everyone's
0: learning. Yeah. And it's been a fast I, I was thinking forward. the other day, if I, I like to go to the theatre in New York when I'm there, but I don't go that often. So I was thinking if, I, if a, a run of a play was to do two <gasps> live stream performances. Around the world, during that run, I'd be happy to pay something to watch that, you know, because I know I'm never going to see it, but I can watch it from home.
1: That could be the most exciting thing that we've inherited from this year. (laughs) Um, You mentioned earlier that a dancer's life is short, and I Mm. wanted to talk briefly about, you started late, which I know you've spoken about a lot, and you said partly, I know you went to the theatre, your parents were sort of very involved, they took you. Mm. Did they take you to see dance as well, or did you not have the same access to dance
0: Uh, It was a different kind of dance, actually. My parents loved musicals and they loved a movie musical. So the first things I saw when I was growing up on TV, you know, it was all Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly were my idols. And and then they would take me to the cinema, of course, and then to the theatre, but to musicals. No knowledge whatsoever of... uh, ballet or contemporary dance or classical music even actually in my So no house.
1: training to that or exposure no, to that. No, I didn't know
0: anything about any of that.
1: So at 22 what happens you am I right somebody you were working with was going to an audition?
0: Yeah. I mean a little bit before that I'd I'd started to get into other kinds of dance. So I, I was into self-education when I was left school. I didn't go to university initially. Okay. I left school at 18. I got a, a job filing contracts at the BBC because I thought I was in show business or something, you know. Yeah. And um I, I guess I knew what I liked. I loved I loved performance, but I didn't. I, I thought I should go and see an opera, for example. Or I should go and see a classical ballet. I didn't know much about. Thought I should give it a try, and I was very into that about go, giving things a try. And I, I went to see, believe it or not, Swan Lake, and and that yeah. sort of because I thought it was famous. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's the famous one. So yeah. I thought I'll go along. I was about eighteen, and uh, it was a sort of wonderful revelation to me. And not the thing that people would normally think. You know, it wasn't. Oh, it's so beautiful. It was more. Oh, it's eccentric and a piece of history preserved, and it's sort of glamorous. And the movement was very odd to me. And but I sort of was hooked by it. Yeah, loved it.
1: It's. I mean. I mean, yours. Absolutely, And it's also the, I mean, having observed, you know, having also sort of done lots of sort of watching of lots of things now online of you, just the humour that you imbue and all of the sort of the range of emotion. I feel that with that, with Swan Lake, you know, this idea of the sort of slightly sterile ballet is just completely, it's the opposite. It's funny and dirty and <laughs> scary and unnerving yeah. and theatrical in in the truest range of human emotion, not theatrical to be, you know,
0: theatrical. Well, I've always thought my my biggest plus side of of starting late in dance or training late, I should say. I love dance from a very early age. You know, I used to make up dances and stuff. But but training very late is um, that I had experienced a lot of other kinds of entertainment before that. I was a big movie fan. I love theatre I love going to see plays and things so acting was very you know of great interest to me and so when I actually got into what's known as sort of serious dance ballet and contemporary dance I kind of had all those interests already so I sort of brought them to it Mm. if I trained as a dancer from an early age my my subject would be movement invention only probably and I would be less interested in those other things. So i bring a sort of wealth of early loves with me to dance when I started. And that, and that was all to do with movies and, and theatre, different kinds of theatre.
1: I mean, that's so interesting. I just, I, I can so see that. There is dance, but what is grandfathered into that is sort of everything else, every element of performance, the, all of the emotion, all of the heat, the expression. And it's, it's just so witty as well. Like, you know, the best plays, even when they're tragedies, they're also funny
0: because. I think, I know, I never thought I would do that though. It's funny. I never thought I was a funny, you know, had that sort of side to me, really. It just sort of came out naturally. I just yeah. sort of, if something struck me as funny, I kind of thought oh, we want to put it in because I, it's all about entertaining people, really. Yeah. And it can get rather pompous, that world, you know, but it's ultimately, it's about entertaining an audience. And I found humor was such an amazing way of winning over audiences who've been dragged along to dance. They didn't want yeah. to come.
1: And they're surprised to find themselves yeah. laughing.
0: Because if you've laughed, you've reacted and you've yeah. had a physical reaction and you've, you've connected and then you're happy. And so I often put laughter in at the beginning of a story. And then it goes into darker places and, and more emotional yeah. places. and But people are comfortable then. Because well, um, it's
1: involuntary. When you're made to laugh and it's genuine, it's sort of involuntary. And then you're sort of, you're hooked.
0: Yeah, so you, you need a, to you connect. It's that yeah. connection thing. You need to see something on stage or react to something that makes sense to you. And I think that's what dance often doesn't do for some people. They look at they just think, I just don't get this. Mm-hmm. I feel as I should be getting something that I and I don't understand it. And that can be a little off-putting. So... I try and sort of relax people a bit.
1: Well, it's... You do. You do. I mean, watching it, it it is... I mean, for me, that is the first thing I took from seeing your work. That was just, like, actually... This well, you can relate. It's utterly relatable, even though obviously I have no physicality by comparison to anybody. (laughs) You've got a body. Everyone has
0: a body. body. Everyone (laughs) understands that, you know, in some way.
1: So when you were and you had, so when you were dancing, how long were you dancing for? And and was the was the choreography therefore given? What you've said about how much you'd absorb from other areas of theatre was that always Mm. sort of ticking in the back of your mind as a dancer and pulling you.
0: I've had quite an unusual thing uh, with my career, really. I, I think choreography was always the main thing for me okay. and directing and wanting to put on a show, you know. And it's more like that. the time I was dancing in my own work mainly and at college was almost the bonus. Right. That was like, oh, I never thought I would do that because I started at, I don't know whether you mentioned this, but at 22 was my first dance class so late and it's so, so I never the opposite thought I would of what it. we
1: understand you know you have this yeah. idea of you know the five year old you know <laughs> well of most drilled. of my dancers
0: started very very young wow. you know and they're all better than i ever was but but it was um if you're
1: 22 yeah. who is in the class with you if you are an unusually you know old <laughs> beginner
0: <laughs> this was my, uh, an audition for a dance college that's okay. called the laban center it's called trinity laban now in southeast london I suppose the others were just that little bit younger than okay. me. And they were all, uh, you know, it was a degree course, right? So they were more like eighteen, nineteen, and I right. was twenty-two. You know, so it wasn't that big a difference, really. But some of them have been dancing for many years, of yeah. course, especially the the women. But it, it, I never felt like the old one. Didn't feel in really. No. I, just, <laughs> I, I mixed in quite quite happily.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then, so how many years were you? So your your bonus years of dancing? How mm. long was that before you made the leap? <laughs> no well it, in they went in hand
0: in hand. hand straight away okay. actually when i left college i i formed the company i still run today it was called something else and it was called adventures in motion pictures originally oh. amp yeah. and then about hmm, 20 years ago nearly it changed to new adventures mm. which is the same thing essentially but we just changed the name so it was for a period of time i was i was dancing in my own choreography okay so that's where i got to dance i don't think anyone else would have hired me to be honest i think i think it was a good <laughs> thing that i got to sort of fulfill that dream that ambition to perform i hope you
1: only cast yourself as the lead
0: (laughs) well no it was a little bit like well there weren't many of us to be honest so we were all the leads in in one sense um but yeah no it was a great time and i loved it and i loved performing and i learned a lot from performing i think i got to be a better choreographer um once i could step away from it and look at it from the right way around you know
1: I always wonder how people do that how they can be in something that they are direct I mean I know you can then retreat particularly if it's in film behind the camera and watch it but to me it's a different view
0: I don't think it's a good idea no if you're directing or any any of those things you really because it's such a different viewpoint and you you need to have the vision of where you've been and where you're going to Mm. and help everyone you know help everyone feed feed everyone what they need and I think as a performer, you're really, as a lot of you, has to go towards that. Yeah. I mean, my panic was always working something out and then having to turn around the other way and remember the movement, not the in the way that I was looking at it, if that makes sense, yeah. because you start yeah. turning it around. So it's always, always on the other side in a way. So that was very tricky. But of course, it, I didn't worry about it so much at the time, but I realized once I'd stopped doing that. And it was because I was commissioned, uh, not commissioned, I was sort of asked to be involved in Oliver, the musical Oliver by Cameron Mackintosh. And it meant I couldn't perform in my company anymore. So I had to step out of the pieces. And that's when I learned it was a good thing.
1: How how many years is this? So how old are you at this point when suddenly you are becoming who we now know you to be the the (laughs) (laughs) world-renowned
0: much adorned well you (laughs) know I wasn't (laughs) that young when I I, I really because I started so late so you know the first big piece that I did was Nutcracker and I was already 32 by that point I premiered that and I was 35 when I choreographed Swan Lake so although I hadn't really done very much I, I was still you know I'd been around a bit
1: I'm so curious about Swan Lake and today and if you were in terms of obviously the thing that's so most talked about is the male swan yes and what you want. and i i absolutely understand that sort of physicality of a swan i mean having taken my children to feed the ducks i'm always terrified whenever they're <laughs> near one but they are there is a sort of there is a brutality there and yeah. and i think it is so amazingly captured in your cho- choreography and there is just that strength and the fact that they are sort of the biggest bird on the water ultimately do you think today, just with all the things that are sort of being talked about now between sexes and men's roles and women's roles mm. and actually the, you know, women sort of aren't, don't have to sort of be defined as feminine, the traditional sense of feminine. Do you think you would do the same thing again or would there be another version that you might be thinking of?
0: I don't think I'll do another version, but someone will, mm. you know, and I, I know that the women who uh, are in my company in Swan Lake, because it's not an all male cast, no. which is always mentioned, but the women are in it. The show, they always would, they'd love to do the Swan, this Swan movement rather than the ballerina's classical yeah. Swan movement. Yeah. You know, I could see a version where you could have very strong women t- doing a contemporary style Swan Lake uh, I don't know why it's not happened already, but I've done my version. That's yeah. my version. And someone, what I'm sure will do something that will change things again at some point. And that's, that's great. But I, I. I think what I was feeling at the time when we made it was that that there wasn't much lyrical uh, or emotional dance for men.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: And so I felt that it it was sort of needed and it has proved to be needed along with, you know, My Swan Lake and Billy Elliot and things like that. The interest in dance from young men has has grown enormously over these years, Mm. uh, 25 years now to the point where you know with for the first time a couple of years ago we had more applications for auditions from young men than young women
1: really that was, which, was that the first time that it happened first
0: time so that's sort of that yeah. that thing as as i suppose happened you know yeah so there, there's different kinds of equality to look look towards now i suppose and yeah, in what absolutely. we do
1: that's
0: absolutely um, right. and so it, uh, and that's all good. You know, I think a, a, any innovation and is good.
1: So in terms of picking what you do next, I was thinking, because everything that you've done has been to just this extraordinary standard. How do you zero in on what your next project would be that you can tell, you know, through dance and expression and acting? Like, How does that, how does that happen? Like and do you mm. have something that you're thinking that is the one that I'm almost scared to do but I know I've got to do it at some point? Or you know, are there are yeah. there wish lists that you have of
0: All those things you've said I've had in the yeah. past. I did have a wish list. I've ticked quite a lot of them off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been thirty years of, of doing this now. And so a lot of stuff almost on my list. Red shoes was a big one for me that I really wanted to right. do for a long time and that was done. It's not a long list and I have ticked off quite a few of them. And there have been a couple that I was frightened of. I was frightened of Sleeping Beauty before I did it because I I couldn't solve it in my head. I couldn't find a way of doing it. I really made Mm -hmm. myself do it. And I was very proud of what we came up with in the end with that. But it was because of the Tchaikovsky. I'd done the other ones and everyone's expecting me to do it. Romeo and Juliet we did last year the Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet mm. and that was something that was constantly mentioned to me when are you going to do Romeo and Juliet and I thought said I would never do it I, mm. it's too done too often and and I sort of found a way of doing it in the end that I that I enjoyed and and I was really again proud of but it's a challenge I suppose to do something that's so well known it can be more challenging than doing something brand new
1: Absolutely So your list is is there anything remaining on your list?
0: <laughs> well, there is. I mean, there's a ballet, I suppose, that I, I, this is not an announcement that I'm doing it, but it's just that there's a, a sort <laughs> Hold the front
1: of, page. <laughs> well, I'd like to do
0: something around Compadia one day, you know, oh. that was a famous ballet and it involves doll. you know, that comes to life. I, I like the idea of mixing that with a sort of wax museum, like a, like a horror oh. film, like an old horror movie. Yeah. And, Terrifying, um, yeah. Something, <laughs> some vague sort of notion going on in my head yeah. there uh, that might happen one day, who knows. And, um, I've lately been reading the novels of Patrick Hamilton, uh, mm. who most famously wrote Gaslight and Rope. Mm. Those two must he wrote, they were plays, but his novels are really fabulous and, uh, Hangover Square and Slaves of Solitude. And if people don't know them, they're, they're a great read. And so I've been sort of toying with an idea around okay. his work. So it's 1920s, 30s, London, pub life. Oh, fantastic. Pub world.
1: Yeah. God, we all miss the pub world. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted, I know that you have something, is it in June next year, though? The, the yes. car man will be back.
0: Yeah, we've just announced this. We've been planning it for quite some time. And obviously with this... The predicament we've been in, it's been, we we're wondering whether it was going to happen. Yeah. It's part of the, uh, the Royal Albert Hall's 150th birthday celebrations. And they came to us and asked us, would we be part of it and do something at the company? We've never performed there before as a company, as a full length piece. And originally we were going to do a sort of a compilation evening, you know, with an orchestra right. and bits and pieces and a sort of something. Best of, yeah, sort yeah. of a prom type show. And then I went to see something else there, and I just thought I sat there and I thought, no, 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 we've got to. Do what we do best, which is tell stories. We have to do a story. We have immersive. to tell it. Fill that space with a yeah. big melodramatic story, and the carman is the one that seems to fit the bill. So for people who don't know, it's based on Bizet's Carmen, but it's a different story. It's like a dance thriller.
1: And you are going to have a car.
0: Oh, cars! Cars. We're going to have a road. We're going to have a, a, a highway into town. It's set in America. It's set in sort of small town America. And this sort of drifter arrives in town and shakes things up with everyone, and lots of twists and turns. As all good thrillers should have. Yeah,
1: yeah, I love it. I mean, I will be there. I will be there. I saw a bit of you talking about it on was it was it the news or BBC? News? Yeah, I just the idea of a car coming down, or many cars. <laughs> Did you know that's what, once you were in the space, you're like, this, we've got to sort of break this apart, and we've got to actually have
0: Well, the, there's no point in doing it unless, because we've done it on a normal stage, yeah. you know. I, there's no point in doing it at the Albert Hall and just sort of sticking that production at the end of the hall. And you've got to use the arena and you've got to find new ways of being creative with it. And so that's what we're doing. We're trying to find a, a new way of telling that story and filling the space uh, and I, I love it as a venue. I mean, I've always, it's a dream to perform there actually and to have our company there. I've, I've, I think it's the. The most warm venue, actually, yeah. for audiences. It, it encompasses everyone beautifully. It's
1: extraordinary to yeah. be there and to be relaunching. And next year, I just think next year will feel so special for live performance. Yeah. everybody's going to be hugging themselves, and tickets are going to be sold. And what better over. place to do and it? what than better there, place to know. do it? Yeah. So, how does that casting process work for you? Do you have an idea of who you want for those roles early, or do you, do you? Yeah,
0: I work with the same dancers on a fairly regular basis yeah, while nurturing of... the new younger ones that come through, and and I. That's what really more than anything else keeps me going. I love yeah. the dancers and I love working with the talent and imagining them in roles is what really makes me get up in the morning. I love, I love working with the dancers. Yeah. That
1: must be so extraordinary as well to start working with somebody when they're young and just sort of see that potential and know where you would want to put them in your company or just to have that ability to sort of give somebody a career path.
0: It is one of the nicest things about what I do, I I guess. And obviously you start to recognise it more over the years, Mm -hmm. you know, when someone's got something special. I I suppose when you stop performing as well, you work through other people, you know, and I I feel that very much when I'm watching a show. I feel it's me up there, not in the individual, but in the whole thing. I feel very much, very much a part of it still,
1: it must be such an expression of what you feel that you're watching. It is. You know, what you have sort of started sort of thinking about however many months ago, you have a thought, you've read a novel, you've read something and you had a reaction to it. And then to see that emotionality played out.
0: Yeah, they always do me proud. And I've I've never I've never taken on anything that I don't absolutely love. The things I've turned down are sort of crazy um, <laughs> because I didn't quite feel it, you know.
1: Did you um, turn down Bond? You can uh, tell us now. No, I've <laughs> turned
0: down some pretty major... Things uh, here and there, but it'd be unfair to say. Whatever. It would be unfair.
1: And saying no, to, I mean, that's saying no is probably the best gift anybody can give themselves. Sort of saying no to the things that wouldn't be right for you.
0: Yeah, you've got to love it. I think you've got to. It's going to spend so much time with you. Yeah, you know that you've got to really feel something for it. Feel you've got something to bring to it. And if you don't get it, I mean, a lot of people you have to take jobs sometimes just to earn a bit of money. Yeah. You know, and, and I, luckily I've never really been in that position i've virtually always done things even the musicals i've done were ones i really wanted to do you know oliver and my fair lady and mary poppins and you know that i've absolutely was would have paid them to do it you know i mean i I really they weren't just jobs to me they were their dreams come true you know so i that's that's the way my career has been so i consider myself very very lucky
1: Well, I am going to move to food because we are four And I feel that is a lovely, lovely note as well to end on. But food, food, glorious food. So mention to What a good link. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Bonus point for me. So um, you have toured, as you say, all over the world. Um, What are some of, I mean, that's the best bit, I think, about travel for work is eating and finding the right Are there, do you have any standout culinary experiences for places that you have been?
0: Well, some good and some not so good in a you way. You can share you know, both. Standout <laughs> colouring experiences. I, I spent quite a lot of time in in Asia. You know, in Japan, and mm. um, sometimes the food can be great. I'm a, I'm a uh, pescatarian. I haven't eaten okay. meat since 1989. Uh, you did so it before
1: it was fashionable. You see. it was fashionable. <laughs> Trendsetter.
0: And it can be quite difficult in some places. And I I found myself eating in 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 Japan sort of giant sea slugs and Have the, the you? things I've never heard of it's
1: deliberate or just <laughs>
0: well it's a, a delicacy apparently um <gasps> mm-hmm. Mm. not so great and some very strange things you just don't really know what you're eating I suppose when you get into uh, yeah. things from the sea you know I, I mean
1: it's... that is the truth I have to say sometimes when I'm eating you know things from the sea you just think god I mean it's, a mussel is not a particularly attractive thing and yet it's delicious or yes, you know the, the, moisture, the bottom yeah. feeders like you know the longestine, or whatever you think actually if that was something scuttling around my kitchen I would call the exterminator
0: <laughs> <laughs> well they do eat things like that though. Yeah. I mean sushi when you get served up sushi some of the things on top of the sushi, like things you've never seen in your life. You're you to really nudge it off with your <laughs> So they're sort of interesting experiences, shall I say? Do you know? I, I was thinking about this uh, about what what I've loved about traveling, and the thing I really love. It, we spend quite a lot of time in the states, so in New York or Los Angeles. With the shows that we do for quite long periods of time. The thing I love is in in, there is is breakfast brunches
1: Mm. that
0: I just, it's the thing I look forward to most, the meal of the day there. And I love um, pancakes and I love Jewish breakfast things. I love uh, potato latkes with applesauce and sour cream and and, uh, lox. Delicious. and a scramble with onions yeah. and at that kind of thing i really crave when i'm there I mean, i know they're not great currently. no but they're the
1: things i think it's but, the food like if you had it it would transport you straight back to there if you could you know if you're in islington you go to sort of those delis there you sort of you do remember where you had it and you sort of compare it to, yeah
0: and it's especially it's the smell of sometimes of breakfast there a bit different there's a lot of cinnamon involved obviously. yeah there's a lot
1: of sugar <laughs> <At> <laughs> a lot times, of sugar yeah
0: Yeah, I think they're my my sort of happy memories of eating in, in New York. And I must say, when we were there with Swan Lake for about four months on Broadway, I ate such a lot and really put on weight and I've never really been able to lose it to be honest so it was a bit of a disaster for me because the portions are so enormous they're so, huge they're yeah.
1: huge and then I don't know if you have that thing where you're like I can I have to clean my plate I can't leave anything it would be
0: rude I'm a bit like that I was yeah. brought up that way you know because the doggy no bag waste. thing is a
1: bit of a I'm sort of like really I don't take this home it feels a bit like a specimen of some description yeah.
0: no I they're they're my favorite times I think
1: have you travelled for Christmas? Have you? What's a traditional foodie Christmas for you?
0: Well, it changes, doesn't it, as as your life changes. Mm. You know, it used to be about Mum and Dad yeah. and going for Mum's Christmas uh, dinner, which was full of sort of favourites and things she used to do and all the traditional things.
1: This was a vegetarian, was it a pescatarian Christmas she would do or would you just put aside the She would do special turkey?
0: things for me. She would do like cheese sausages and things and, yeah. as, a, as a, a substitute or I'd get some sort of special fish in for me, just for me, you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all had turkey, um, but of course now they're both gone. My parents now, and and I for the first year after they they passed, well, my father died after my mum. But oh. you try to sort of recreate that sense of Christmas that you had, and it's a not right. it's not a good idea, I think, um, Cause because they're it missing. Makes you feel sad, yeah. you know. So the thing I I've started to do is is usually to eat out in a hotel or a, a restaurant uh, on Christmas Day now, and I really enjoy it, and we we usually go to one of the Corbin and King restaurants. Oh, lovely. And, um, yeah. We live very near the one in Islington called Bellinger's, which has just reopened. Yeah, And it, it's dog friendly and you can take your dog there. And there's only me and my partner and our dog. And he sits there, the dog with his bow tie on and his Christmas hat. And it just feels lovely, you know. Yeah. And, the,
1: and all the lights that they have. Yeah. I mean, sort of like for, I know the Walsley do it and I've spoken to Jeremy about it. And there are people who book every year, you know, it's literally like 11 months and 30 days. They put their reservation in to and come it's, back.
0: it's felt special again. Yeah. You know, what used to be a family thing, uh, which was special. This is, this always feels lovely. Yeah. So it's, a you, you, a, you create a different kind of Christmas, I think.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I know I'm walking into Fortnum's today and sort of looking around and seeing all of the, it's been such a strange year and yet to sort of come somewhere that's just exploding with light and colour and, you know, everything, like all the bits that you sort of immediately want to kind of go and sort of gobble up and buy. I mean, I do, I think that community that we haven't had, you know, can now be had, you know, eating out or even just going shopping feels sort of special and celebratory and exciting and... You know, not just being on your Amazon, you know, shopping page, putting stuff in your basket. It is a
0: bit sad to think that that is the way some things are going. You mm. know that it's it's everything is done from your armchair. Done from you your know, on and and your
1: laptop. I
0: love that thing coming in in here to Fornham's today. It's, such, it's so magical, and to see people shopping, it is it is special yeah. this time of year particularly. And I, you know, it's um, we used to come here actually when my mum used to bring us here just to walk through really <laughs> yeah. yeah we were quite poor you, you know? would drive we by yeah we're, quite, we're allowed to buy one or two things you know treats yeah. special treats
1: yeah it's yeah. the whole thing of like spending 20 minutes deciding what cookie you know, yes or what exactly
0: or what macaron. sort of jam or lemon yeah. curd or something what like was that, yours you know?
1: what would you pick
0: well you I, pick? I was just mentioned the lemon curd because I remember picking yeah. that I love that sort of thing
1: my grandfather loved that it yeah,
0: was, yeah. Always really special, but always looking for new things as well. You know, there's always new things at Fortnum's, I think. Yeah. New inventions.
1: I know there are certain things they get in that sort of sell out in about 20 minutes. Well, I tried the
0: winter tea last year. I think it's called winter tea. Okay. How was it? It sort of smells like a bonfire. Oh, nice. It's really good. It's quite intense. Um, But it's a lovely uh, sort of smoky, wintry feel to it. And uh, has sort of a a burnt wood kind of... uh,
1: Oh, nice! If you sold me, I'll go down. I'll it's go lovely. Forage. I don't know whether it.
0: do it's still doing it this year, but it was like, it was new last year, I think.
1: Because you did you work with Fortnum's on a Swan Lake sort of installation of some sort? Yes. What was that?
0: Well, it was amazing. Actually, it was a few years back now. Two thousand
1: and nine. Um, I was two thousand
0: nine. Right. Yeah. That's when we were doing the show at that time because we do it about every five years or so, uh, and we had a partnership with Fortnum's where. Um, was going to theme be themed with swan lake our swan lake okay. which of course is very different to the classical swan lake and i was kind of expecting it to be a little bit inspired by maybe the feathers of the the boys sort of costumes right. and everything what i didn't expect was to see the show completely recreated in the windows scene by scene so beautifully so much detail um even Les Brotherston might. My designer who, des- yeah. who designed the show, who is incredibly difficult... <laughs> <laughs> in many ways, with something like this, with someone else taking on his design in that yeah, way, yeah, I can, was that's so a lot. happy with it, and I, I thought it was wonderfully done, really wonderfully. done. Did you done. have a moment
1: of standing outside? I mean, that the Fortnum window—I mean, that is just, that's extreme, just looking and incredible. Just thinking, and it wasn't
0: yeah. just one window; it was every the window,
1: whole bank. Wow,
0: different scene in each window, everything recreated beautifully, and I, I thought, in a way, it was sort of like that's real fame for you, in a way, yeah that production was known enough to be in Fortnum's windows i thought that was an amazing thing and to have thing.
1: meaning for all the customers walking in and yes they, had yeah. to have
0: meaning to people yeah, yeah. absolutely
1: Right, we're going to do a little quick fire round. Oh my do you goodness. mind that? Okay. okay, this is this is where we get to the heart of what Fortnums is all about. Um, <laughs> what is your perfect cup of tea?
0: Uh, well, I like a basic Yorkshireman's tea, that kind of thing. But I have, have got a little uh, uh, thing for lapsang souchong, actually, uh, okay. A Little thing, occasionally. <laughs> flirtation on the side.
1: <laughs> um, what is your most joyful memory when it comes to a meal?
0: Well, I always say my fav- My favorite thing is my mum's. A spotted dick, oh. <laughs> <With> the, <laughs> dare I say, uh, with Tate and Lyle um, syrup on top. Oh, That's that's a dream memory for me.
1: Yeah, perfect. That's it. <laughs> okay, so what food or drink do you wish you had invented?
0: Um, I was going to say, I'd say a martini, sort of simple,
1: oh.
0: classy, yeah. glamorous. Are
1: you vodka or gin? Vodka. Yeah, you my husband, same thing. Mm-hmm martini yeah. with a
0: twist for me, not with olives. I, I don't. Not so mad. You
1: are. Me. You are separated at birth. This is not exactly so dirty. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he. Now what is it? He. Likes it stirred, not shaken, because if it's shaken, all the ice breaks up and it dilutes the vodka, which for him yes, is not the best. Yes, no, we're the same
0: person. You are the same. Say, fantastic. Yes.
1: You're coming home with me tonight. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, what music do you tend to listen to at home?
0: Oh my god, it's such a, an eclectic mix. You know, along with the classical music that I work with and love. But I, I, at this time of year, I suppose I, I love a bit of Ella Fitzgerald oh, singing yeah. Christmas songs. It's always every single year. Actually, she's it's the just best.
1: Fantastic, isn't it? She is the best. Yeah, mm. love her. What are the three ingredients you think are essential store cupboard items?
0: I suppose that the things that, that make everything work, like say fresh things, yeah, garlic, fresh garlic, is that wrong? I mean, No, no anything, store garlic, cupboard,
1: it could be anything, you want garlic, definitely. Ginger,
0: fresh ginger, mm-hmm. fresh lemons and limes, always have those handy, yeah. big spice rack and you know all Do those ingredients that make everything taste good have you got something good. that you just would always want to put in uh, cumin or fennel I've some cumin late, lately and mm. loving a bit of coriander on top of things at the moment as well yeah we've been watching the nigella actually <sighs> A bit, a bit late to the party, but we're both obsessed and I mean, we, we're she loving is. it.
1: She is the party. You know? Yeah, I would just like to go to Nigeria for Christmas. Actually.
0: But we've tried a few of the recipes as well, and and uh, no, don't normally do that. Sometimes sort of glance at cookery programs and mm. never really think to do it. But we've really been sort of fired up to do things, probably because we have more time.
1: Yeah,
0: we've uh, tried a few. Of the, one of one of them involves fish fingers. Did you see that one? No, we've already cooked it three times. Really? It's so good oh really look it up
1: okay i'm gonna do it fish
0: finger. i don't can't remember what it's called but it's got fish fingers in it
1: i think if i google nigella fish fingers i'm gonna i'm gonna go straight to the (laughs) the mother load it's gonna be a gift that'll be my that's gonna be the weekend okay well that is it for today matthew thank you so much for making the time i so appreciate
0: it. Uh, it's been a real pleasure thank you
1: huge thanks of course to you as well for tuning in if you haven't already do let us know if you're enjoying the hungry mind series so far by kindly leaving us a rating and a review remember you can also subscribe to fortnum's hungry minds wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes we'll be sitting down with more brilliant guests for fascinating conversations ranging from food and drink through to arts and culture